morning. You know, I was sitting there while Sean was talking, and I was working over my opening joke in my head. And something he said, that there's a reason each of us are here today. I'll tell it either at the end or next week. It's about LeBron, you'll like it. But there's a reason. It's so easy when you're in the church, when you've been here for a long time, any church for a long time, to look at the calendar and think, well, there's not going to be a lot of people here today, or, or, oh, this is a big one, or this is a small one. But we don't know until we know. Because God is here. And it's no accident that today is the day of Pentecost. It's no accident that Sean was the only one up there. And the praise band is awesome. But it's about him. And it's about what happened on that day so many years ago. And it's about what happens in our church and who we are and who we can be. My title today is This Is Us. Now, you probably don't know this, but a lot of my titles come from TV shows and movies. This happens to have been one. And I loved this show. And the concept behind the show was it's going to be what family life looks like. Now, obviously, for TV, there's drama and all this stuff. But, but it's going to be this is what family is. This is what it looks like. This is what people go through. And the reason that I look to that for today is we're going to look at the day of Pentecost. We're going to look at the day the Spirit came down. We're going to look at the start of the new church. And that's us. That's what we're supposed to look like. That's who we can be. That's who we will be. And so I want to go to the scripture, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So we've heard the, the phrase, the title, the day of Pentecost. It was actually, it's actually a Jewish feast that took place 50 days after Passover. So this was an existing day, an existing day which celebrated the first fruits of wheat, uh, the wheat harvest being given to God. So like this was something that, that the Jews gathered together for, just like Passover, just like the other holidays where they would gather together and eat and look to God. It also marked the day that Israel was given the law so long ago. Now if you've ever thought about how perfect the plan of God is. This shows it so well. Because Israel at one point was given the law on the same day that the disciples, the capital C church, is given grace, is given the ability to live beyond the law, given the ability to, to live for Christ, to show who he is. And it's such a perfect plan. It's such an amazing thing. Now imagine being in the disciples' place. Just the 50 days before this were insane for them. They had seen Jesus beaten and died. They'd ran. They'd, they'd hid. They'd had doubts. 
But then they saw him come back, and they saw him go up to heaven. They saw all these miraculous things. They felt all these miraculous things, and they're told to wait. That is the hardest thing to be told. They're told to wait. And so for 10 days after the ascension, they waited. And they had no idea really what they were looking for. They understood that Jesus had promised the Spirit. They understood that he had said, I'm going to make sure you're not alone. And they knew that, and they felt that. But they waited, and they waited, and they didn't know, again, what to look for. They'd seen the Spirit at work in Jesus' ministry. They'd felt him as they went out and served, as they went out as his disciples. And they knew Jesus' promise. They'd seen his resurrection, his ascension. They'd seen everything beyond their imagination. But they had no idea how long they would wait. But they did it together. They did it together. They joined together and they prayed and they talked and they remembered and they hoped and they did all of these things together. And they knew the Holy Spirit, just as we know, the Holy Spirit is promised to us, is promised to them. And it's worth waiting for, but it's not about our expectations of what it's going to look like or what it's going to feel like. It's not about our desires. It's about His and it's about what can be. It's about who we can be with Him. And what they were waiting for was that, that boom. The mighty wind. Now what's really cool is there are very few similarities. I may be the only one that thinks this is really cool. There are very few similarities between Hebrew and Greek. And I know most of you are thinking, oh, I hope he gets on this. Uh, but the same word exists in both languages for this, for mighty wind, for, for the description here. And it's the same word, and it means the same thing. And it's wind, breath is the, the, the definition. And it's used where it talks about, the Bible talks about the wind, the breath of God that blew over the new creation. The wind, the breath of God that blew into the new creation. The, the, the wind, the breath of God that moved over the dry bones of Israel, bringing life and strength. And that is what appeared here. That is the noise. That is the fire. And you may wonder, why fire? Because we kind of think of fire as the bad place. We kind of think of fire in bad ways. But what fire actually represents, especially in this context, is purification. If you go and you light a building on fire, please don't do that. If you do, I'm erasing this from my message. If you light a building on fire, it's horrible devastation. All that's left is what can withstand the fire. All that's left is what's permanent. That's what this is. The only thing left when the Spirit comes down is what's permanent, is Him. It's the love for Him. It's the desire for Him. It's the accord for Him. It's the hope, the love. Everything is what's left. And so fire is a refiner. It's purification. It leaves only what lasts. And the disciples were filled as promised. And they received it in faith in His time, not theirs. Who knows what their plan would have been? Honestly, from reading about them in the Gospels, I don't know that their plan would be all that great. But God's plan for their life was to put them through this at the exact right time, to allow them to deal with all this at the exact right time, to feel the Spirit at the exact right time because He knows everything and He knows what we need. And it says that they were filled together in unity, in unusual and unexpected ways, but in unity, 
all of one accord in one place. Now I'm going to give you a, a spoiler or give you a, a secret. They didn't always agree. I promise you that they did not always agree. Sometimes they were like, ah, I don't like the carpet color. And sometimes they were like, oh, you wore that today? They did not always agree, but they were in one accord on the most important things. They had the same heart, the same love for God, the same trust in him. I have a quote. From the day of Pentecost until the present time, it has been necessary to be of one accord in prayer before the Spirit of God will work with mighty converting power. In my time, which is really long, and it actually feels a lot longer today because there's somebody here visiting who was uh, one of the first teens in my youth group at my last church when she was in like 6th, 7th grade, and now she's 21. And so... Moral of the story, I'm super old. <laughs> but in my time, I've lived through a lot of church struggles. And I've lived through a lot of church dissensions and a lot of church disagreements, and I've even lived through church splits. Never once has, been, has it been fun. But also, Never once has it been final. Never once has it been final. Because if we listen to him, if we come together, if we look at him, if we rebound, it is a growing opportunity. It is a chance to again burn, purify, hope, grow, fill ourselves with the Spirit. And I remind you of the disciples. They fled. They disagreed. Peter betrayed his Lord. Not just by denying him, but by violently trying to revolute in his name. I can make up words because I have several degrees that are not lucrative. <laughs> That's the one benefit of those. They argued, and they pointed fingers, and they blamed, and they disagreed, but they came together. They came together and they felt the spirit. They came together and they grew. They came together and they loved. They came together and they became the church. Even after Jesus, they didn't always agree, but they were unified in him. This is us. This must be us. If I went person to person, and don't worry, I'm not gonna. I saw some of you get ready to leave. If I went person to person and asked, what is your picture of a perfect church? My guess would be there would be very few similar answers. Very few similar answers, but I guarantee that built on Christ would be the one across everything. That's what the church is. That's where we start. That's where we are. That's where we must begin is we feel him, we, we, we feel the spirit, and we find that accord. We find that hope because he is here, and he is always here. He doesn't go away when we mess up. He doesn't go away when we disagree. He just waits. 
He waits for us to feel the need for forgiveness. He waits for us to feel the hope that he brings. He waits for us to wait for him. That's what we are. That's who we are. This is us. Going to verse 7. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Uh, Here we are, Parthians, uh, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, uh, Paraphilia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, uh, that's probably Cretans, uh, and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about their wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. There's been a lot of discussion about the disciples speaking in tongues, and there's a lot of discussion in churches and in denominations. What's important, though, is that they allowed the Spirit to work. They allowed the Spirit to lift them together. What matters is that through him, anything is possible. And we all agree with that. Through him, all is possible. With him, all is possible. And here you have a crowd from a lot of nations, from a lot of cultures, from a lot of races, and they're all together. They hear this noise, and they walk in, and all of a sudden they hear wonderful things about God in their own languages. The disciples were never taught those languages. But the Spirit connected them with those people, with what they needed to hear. And when some of them said, look, it's Galileans, We read that, and sometimes it's healthy to go back and look at context, because we read that, and they're like, oh yeah, they're from Galilee, that makes sense. That's like if you go up to somebody from Cleveland and say, oh look, a Clevelander. Now some of you may mean that as an insult. In fact, they meant that as an insult, because Galileans was an insult. It's like, they're kind of messy, and they're not very trustworthy, and they speak weird, and they're just, ah, let's stay away from them. And so... It is an insult. They're considered uncultured. Which reminds us, there are always going to be people to question, to doubt, to to poke holes in. There are always going to be people to say, hey, I'm going to throw water on this fire. But none of that can stand up to him. And even those people who insulted the Galileans were touched by this moment. They felt God. They felt the Spirit. And what's cool, what's amazing, what's happening here is the disciples are not preaching. It says that they just were hearing about God. Uh, they're, They're hearing things, they're saying things about the wonderful things God has done. They're talking about God. They're just talking. Together. They are talking. Together, they are showing him, and people are witnessing it. And that's what it means to be a witness. That's what it means to be a disciple. They are filled with the Spirit, and they are focused on him. They are living for him. They are trying to be like him. Billy Graham once said, The Holy Spirit illuminates the minds of people, makes us yearn for God, and takes spiritual truth and makes it understandable to us. 
Sometimes the Holy Spirit is a confusing concept. We understand Jesus. Pretty easy to understand Jesus. He's God and he came and he lived among us and he died for us and he rose again. We know that. We understand God the Father. He created everything and he's at the center of everything and that's who God is. We understand that. But the Holy Spirit, it's like, oh yeah, that's the third one. And it's hard to to sometimes put that into words. But basically, the Holy Spirit connects us. He helps us. He translates for us. He, He advocates for us. He binds us together, purifies us, helps us be disciples. There will always be divisions. There will always be people who disagree. There will always be problems. There will always be struggle. And yet, there will always be hope. And there will always be the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of God, the new covenant. And there will always be love. I've said this before, I'll probably say it again, because I talk all the time and I'm bound to repeat. I shouldn't be able to do this. I shouldn't. Some of you have talked to me in real life and you know that I'm very awkward and anxious. I know I drive Kim nuts during the week with all of my neuroses and anxieties. Nuts in a good way. Eh. I am terrified when I'm just talking to somebody. Now, I'm fairly high-functioning at this point in my life, but man, I question everything I say. There are people that I talk to a lot, people I've known for a pretty good while, and when I'm talking to them, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I can't do this, I can't say this. They don't want you to talk. How am I up here? How do I do this every week? So you probably don't know this. The first time I was asked to come to uh, be called here, to work here, however you want to say it, I turned it down. It wasn't because of this, because I loved what I'd heard of the church. I loved in the interview. I loved stepping forward. I loved the idea of it. But I was holding on to where I was. And it was a difficult time there. And I was holding on to it. And I didn't think I could go to a new place. I didn't think I'd be able to do anything. I'm like, look, these people have known you for about seven years. So you can kind of stand up there and do it. But going to a new place, they're going to see through you. And so I turned it down. And I stayed there and I wanted to help. And without getting too much into the weeds, things kept getting... Not great. And after a couple months, maybe three, maybe four, it got to this place where even I realized, okay, I got to go. Not because I wanted to, but because I felt that it was time. I felt it was time for me, for them. And I thought, man, it's such a shame that I'd turned down faith. The very day that I decided that, I checked my voicemail. And I had a voicemail from faith saying, we still haven't found anybody. Would you like to come and talk? The very day. I don't know why. 
I'm here. I don't know why I can do this, because I don't, this isn't my plan. I don't believe in myself, but I follow him. And he puts me places, and he helps me to do this. This is him. And I don't say that to glorify me. I don't say that so you'll be like, oh, that's such a cool story. I say that because you have no idea the depth of my anxiety that should keep me from being up here. And if I can be up here, literally anything is possible in him through him, because of him. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. Sean said that we're here for a reason. That's the reason, because of him. He brings us together. He helps us to see. He helps us to feel. He helps me to do this. All things are possible in him. Last part of the scripture. Jumping ahead a little bit to verse 38. Make sure you start the right place. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourselves from the, this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. I encourage you to read Peter's entire message in Acts because it's amazing. And it's even more amazing when you consider where Peter had come from and, and who he'd been and how he'd denied and how he'd betrayed and how he'd messed up and who he is now, who he allowed the Spirit to make him. And if you read through the gospel and watch his growth, again, this shows that God can do anything with anybody. Because about 40 days prior to this moment, Peter would have been the last person you would have wanted to talk in that crowd. And yet, he was truly changed. And he starts this part of the message with repent. Now, there are certain things in the church that we sometimes say with the appearance of being helpful, but the intent of being kind of cruel. For example, I have a quote-unquote joke with people that like Purdue, and I say, I'll pray for you. Now, you can take that how you mean it, but sometimes we say, I'll pray for you, and we really mean, I don't really like you very much. Now, that's not to the people. I like them, I promise. But we say that, and we hear that. And sometimes people use repent in that same way. It doesn't necessarily mean, hey, get right with God. It's like, hey, get right with me, in my eyes. And yet here we see the truth of that word. Because repent it means to change one's mind or direction. And here's the thing. Repenting is not something we must do before coming back to God. Repenting is coming back to God. That's the step. That's the first step. We repent to come back to God. That's how we are there. That's step one. 
It describes what coming to God is. It's not harsh. It's hope. It's saying you don't have to go in this direction. There is more for you. There is hope. There is life. There is love. The disciples here are the leaders. But they are not unique. And neither are they alone. Each of them had their life stories. And all of them had been messed up. But they are there, and they are allowing the Spirit to work through them. And Peter talks about the crooked generation. I have been alive through 125 different generations. You can do the math there. Some of you are, but that's okay. That's a joke. I don't even know how many generations there have been. I've been alive through a lot of generations. And in each generation... I have heard, this is the worst generation ever. This is the worst time ever. This is the worst world ever. Peter said this to the generation that had put Jesus to death. But every generation bears responsibility for that act because it was for us. It was for all of us. And so the world is just kind of always bad. When the worst is, or what the worst is, or if the worst is, doesn't matter. The fact is, it's always messed up. And sometimes we see that, and we're like, man, how can I possibly make a difference? How can I possibly change this world? You can't. You can't change the world. But you can make a difference. To steal a cliché but cliches become cliches for a reason. You can be the change that you want to see in the world. You can be a difference for your world, for your community, for your church, for your family. You can remind everyone that light always shines, no matter how dark it is. That fire always purifies and that he always works. He always works, no matter what we've done, no matter who we've been. He always works, and he always loves us, and he always allows us to be a part of it. And it says that, that it went from 120 to 3,120 in membership. Now, we're thinking, that's awesome. Chair team might be thinking, oh, let's give it a couple weeks. Even if it had said, it went from 120 to 125. That's still a victory. That's still a victory because every step matters. Every step forward is a step forward. Every victory is a victory. And what's so amazing is not the number necessarily, but it made mention of how there's multi-nations and multi-cultures and multi-races in that room. So when this was over and they were converted, they all went back and talked about the message. They all became the church in their area. And it spread. And it's so amazing and it's so powerful. And we see that. And we know, well, yeah, that's the church. That's what we should be. That's who we can be. We know that. We feel that. But we still sometimes think, well, we really need this to happen. First, this needs to happen. First, we need this, and we need this in place, and I need to do this. Final quote. 
when we have the Holy Spirit, we have all that is needed to be all that God desires us to be. The list of what we need. Holy Spirit, that's it, that's the list. Now, that does not mean that we don't need a staff, that we don't need a band. It does not mean that we don't need a tech team. It doesn't mean that all of these things aren't important. What it means is the Spirit is what we need. That's what we do. That's who we can be. That's how we are. That's the list. And of course, all the other things help, and preparing is important. But it's not about waiting for a perfect time or a place. My entire life, I have heard we need a revival. We need to plan a revival. We need to have a revival. And yes, obviously, but it's not this thing to wait for. That's what we can be. We can be a revival. We can be the church. We can be like him. It's not a perfect time. It's not an event, an event. It's about living as the church every single day. I'm taking a class about the Old Testament. And we're currently in Exodus, which is the second book of the Old Testament, in case you were curious. And as I was reading it, I was thinking about today and thinking about my message and thinking about just life. And I've always loved this story, and most of you, I would imagine everybody here loves this story too, but when the Israelites get out of Egypt, and God delivers them, and the plagues happen, and Moses leads them out, that's not an end to their troubles. They get to the sea, and it's so frightening to them that they say it'd be better to live our entire lives as a slave than to die here. That's how frightening it was, how, how hard it was in that moment. And yet God said, Moses, let's do this. And we see that. And I think sometimes we wait for that in the world, in our church, in our life, for the seas to part. And absolutely God did that. But the Israelites had to choose to walk through it. God's not going to do that for us. The church will always exist. His work will always be done. He will always work. But he's not going to pick us up and carry us through the sea. We have to choose to follow him, to love him, to go through with all of the troubles all around us. And even that doesn't mean life's going to be perfect. Because the Israelites still faced a lot and they caused a lot. But God was always there. He will always part the seas. He will always send his spirit. 
He will always call us. But we have to move. This is us. This can be us. This must be us. That's all I got.